Welcome, guys, to another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero, as always, and I am very excited to have a guest, Jordan Sperber, on today, who I've probably talked up in my last, what is it, four or five episodes to the point where, hey, it might even be a little bit creepy. But, but you know what? That's how important I think he is right now to college basketball coverage, the play type analysis he's doing. I just think every type of fan is great, but I think they should be allowed to have a chance to experience different kinds of analysis. And what Jordan is doing with his Twitter account, HoopVision68, same thing on YouTube. He has a newsletter you can subscribe to. You can go to his Twitter account for that. And his podcast, um, I'm sorry, what is that called again? Solving basketball. Solving basketball. The Solving Basketball podcast. It's it's all great stuff. He's a he's a rising star in the business. And I mean, even something which I'll ask you about this next time you're on for the deep dive. I mean, just something as simple as like you're the video coordinator for New Mexico State. I mean, to know how much they relied on Zach Lofton and Jamario Jones last year and be really successful, and now both of them are gone. And they're still really successful. Stuff like that, just how a team can kind of reinvent itself. That That's very interesting to kind of see how that goes and how you're involved as a video coordinator. Jordan has agreed to come on for a longer appearance uh, right before Duke's uh, first matchup versus UNC to kind of deep dive Duke, his career, and preview that game. So I basically just want to give Duke fans an opportunity to uh, let you shine, Jordan. And I'm going to ask some questions about Virginia. And for Louisville, I haven't had the time to watch a ton of non-Duke games this season and honestly really don't know much about them. Besides Jordan Nuara, who I had as my most improved ACC player in the preseason, and obviously Chris Mack is doing a great job. But uh, that's pretty much going to be a total ISO effort. Uh, Duke's first matchup against Virginia, fantastic game, really intense. I mean, it wasn't the prettiest, but I think it lived up to the hype, in my opinion. I mean, and I would say that even if they lost. So Duke used a bit of weaving to combat the pack line principles, as you were saying, with with the help in the center and slow down the help and recover. But it was mostly ISO. So R.J. Barrett shot 9 of 10 on mid range, from the mid-range, Zion 5 of 6, and those are really low-efficiency shots, tough to replicate, especially when you look through their game-to-game stats and see how R.J. struggled from the mid-range, and Zion's, he's barely even taken any. He's like kind of the analytics uh, dream come true, where it's either three-pointers or at the rim. So seeing as how it was mostly ISO and they were so successful from the mid-range, how do you think that can be replicated, and how do you think Virginia might respond to that, if anything? Yeah, you mentioned the weave uh, in his press conference. Coach K said one of the little tweaks that they did was that weave. To be honest with you, before listening to that press conference, I didn't even re- really realize it. That's, I guess, how small of a tweak it was. Sure enough. Can I just interrupt you for a second? I didn't either, and I am repeating exactly what you said with the weave from you, the video you made post game. So don't think I noticed it too much either. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I, I, if I make a video, a, a post game video like that, I do like to try to find the the press conferences, mostly just because. Um, I, I feel like my word gets a little bit stronger if I can put something right in uh, the, the, about the coach saying it. But so I, I saw that from from Shashevsky, and sure enough, I went back and I had about five clips of them using the weave, including the first play of the game. Uh, 
I did say this in the video. I, you know, it's uh, Virginia is really, really good at what they do, which is packing it in. It's called the pack line. So they're in the gaps and, and there's not very good driving lanes. And I don't think that the weave is necessarily going to change that. They're pretty good at letting you do what you want out on the perimeter and still uh, maintaining their gap defense. But uh, Coach K said it, um, and and you know they and like I said they did it. So that that um, was something that I pointed out about the offense. I agree with you that it was um, very ISO heavy, but uh, I for the most part you you saw things from Virginia's defense that you almost never see, and that is a testament to Barrett and and Williamson. Um, in terms of being able to get by defenders that normally don't get drove uh, easily. And we saw that Virginia put about every single player on their team at one point or another on Zion because no one was was really guarding him uh, to the point where we're used to seeing with a pack line. I would say another thing that stood out to me, Duke began the second half. They attempted three of their first six shots from deep. But from one Cam Reddish three-point miss to another, from 14.53 to 117, Duke attempted 12 field goals and nine free throws. Of those 12 field goals, all of them were RJ and Zion. All were inside the line, and only three were jumpers, and seven of the nine free throws came from RJ Barrett and Zion. So they were it was just clearing out, as we said. But I think what is interesting is that coincided, and this is where I'm so interested to see what you have to say. I don't know if it related exactly. Uh, Mamadi Diakite, he's really their only, I would say, at least from what I've seen, skilled shot blocker at the rim. He only had one foul at the half. He played like 15 minutes, but then he picked up two immediately in the second. He was brought back in around 12 minutes, picked up his fourth pretty much right away, and he never saw the floor again. So considering he's their re only real shot blocker and considering the way RJ and Zion attacked the rim late, do you think he could be a huge factor one way or the other on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think that Diakite is fairly underrated. Um, and and like you said, he can block a shot for sure. The The other guy who has been playing a little bit more lately, and he did play in the Duke game, is, is Jay Huff. Um, so he, he can definitely, he's probably the best shot blocker on the team. He just doesn't, he doesn't play that much, but his minutes have been slowly increasing more and more, especially as Virginia has been changing their style a little bit. Um, and so that would be another guy who I think could impact, uh, the game, especially if you have Bolden in there, uh, that, that gives them someone to guard uh, a little bit harder when, for, for when teams go small, um, but if, if you can, you know, he's he's listed at seven one. Um, so that would be some, something to watch for uh, the their starting center. Jack Salt is not a shot blocker. He's a charge taker. He's just really, really good on defense in general. But with the way Duke plays with their heavy ISO, just great spacing, um, his kind of impact on the game gets negated a little bit. He is really, really good at hedging ball screens and recovering back to the post and defending the post. And those aren't things that Duke uh, does that well. So uh, I would think it would be interesting to see Jay Huff play a little bit more than, than he normally does in, in replace of Salt. You know what? That's actually interesting because I remember before the game, I actually tweeted you saying, do you think that – 
with just the style of the teams, you could see more of Jay Huff kind of be with his offensive skill, be able to take advantage maybe of Mar- of Marquise Bolden a bit. So we that would have to force Kay to bring Jevin Delorier back in, or not back in, just in. But mm-hmm. uh, Delorier, he's really he's had some tough times with the uh, foul rate, some very very tough times. So I right. mean, J- Bolden stayed in there longer, and we really didn't see much of Huff. So yeah, I was thinking a lot about Huff before the game. I'm really high on his talents. You think? Maybe we could see more than we did in the first game coming up. Yeah, the the other part of Jay Huff is that Virginia has been running this continuity ball screen offense a lot more, which I, I'm assuming we, we're going to get into in a little bit. But but Jay Huff is a really good fit for that as well. Um, so, yeah, you're getting a little bit more rim protection on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, it does, I don't have the data behind this necessarily, but it does feel like when Huff is in, they run more of that continuity ball screen stuff. So if that's their game plan going into the Duke game, it, it fits Huff better to be running, running ball screens, rolling to the rim, as opposed to Salt, who's really good in their other offense, the, the blocker mover, where, where the bigs are really just screeners for Guy and Jerome and and those guys running off screens. Um, so, yeah, with, with the way Virginia has been trending, I think that Jay Huff becomes more and more relevant. Is there really anything else you could see possibly changing or possibly improving or being taken advantage of one way or the other with Duke's defense? I mean, I'm sorry, Duke's offense against the Virginia defense uh, on, on Saturday. Or let, let me also say that, I mean, not analytics-based or X's and O's-based, but – I mean, Ty Jerome, I'm trying to find information about his back. He missed the game, mm. his, the last game, as I'm sure most know, against Miami. And, I mean, that's a different team on both ends. So how do you, how would Virginia's defense change against Duke's offense if Ty Jerome is not there? Yeah, and, well, not only Ty Jerome, but, I mean, we haven't said it. I'm sure everyone listening knows, but uh, but Trey Jones, you know, he, he didn't play in that game. Um so it the combination of those those two changes somewhat for sure. I am personally of the opinion that Trey Jones's um, influence on Duke, while he is a very good player, um, has been a little bit overstated in terms of uh, I, I've heard a lot of the narrative that yeah Zion's the best player, he's the best prospect, but Trey Jones is the most important player. Um, I just find that pretty hard to believe not to not to say that Trey Jones is not an important player um and and his presence will hopefully uh like you said that that little stretch there with um with with Barrett and and Zion taking all the shots hopefully having having a a little bit of a ball dominant point guard like Jones can even that out a little bit um but I don't I, I don't even think that's necessarily that bad of a thing. I mean, there's probably no two better drivers than than RJ and Zion in the country. Um, so, yeah, as far as Jerome, it really the, the biggest thing is depth for, for Virginia. So with with Jerome out, you know, Duke can put you in some tough foul trouble or tough foul issues. Virginia is really good at not fouling in general. Um, but, but yeah, it's, he, he's a good defensive player. He's not, he's not elite, I wouldn't say, but, uh, but just having one less body, 
to to guard those guys would definitely have some kind of an impact for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, and I agree with your Jones statement on, on on the offensive side in terms of against man. I, I mean, R.J. Barrett from the get go this year pretty much is the main initiator of Duke's half-court offense against man. There really wasn't much half-court offense for the majority of the season. Then the ACC came, and obviously it's going to be a little more slowed down. Um, against zone, I would I would think RJ would uh, – I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Trey would be more of the initiator moving forward based on what I've seen against the zone. But let's stick with just uh, Virginia right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that Trey could have a big impact, especially if he can hit from outside. I mean, when they can hit from outside, it just clears up space, opens up space, and I think just opens up the energy. It allows more energy. The I would say the assist rate, which some harped on, I mean, both teams were really low, was really odd for Virginia, but I think that was just how the game went and kind of related to that. Let's say the UVA offense. Uh, watching your video on... Virginia's blocker mover offense before the previous game. I actually commented on the podcast I released that game day, how while it's tough to argue with the efficiency of it, I thought it was almost a bit insulting to their talent represented on the court not to give them more ball screens. And sure enough, they have increased the continuity ball screen offense, as you've pointed out, that was hinted at a bit, but I'm not sure had been fully represented for long periods of time this season. They ran a ton more ISO than in previous games versus Duke last time. So would you say that was more planned or rather a reaction to, as Kay said, after the game? He didn't feel like he could defend the baseline floppy curls, as he put it. So we switched one through five to take away pin downs and make it easier to get out on threes. If you could kind of give a little more depth on what he was talking about there and the way Virginia's offense changed. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think it was it was both. It was a combination of both. The, the switching, so I'll talk about that first. Um, Virginia, like like you said, Coach K called them floppy floppy curls. I I call them pin downs. Uh, it's all the, just different terminology, same thing. Um, that's that's their Tony Bennett is a is a continuity type of guy. So we'll talk about continuity ball screen in a second. But his blocker mover is also continuity, meaning it's the same thing over and over again. And so uh, they kind of lull you to sleep a little bit where. One, one player on the left side of the court is coming off a pin down and the other player on the right side of the court is coming off a flare screen. And sometimes that's called wheel action because the players are literally moving like in a wheel or, or a circle. Uh, and so it's that continuity over and over again. Virginia is really good at reading the defense. So if you chase, they're going to curl and go to the basket. If you try to cheat it and like shoot the gap, they're going to flare to the corner and they have all these reads and, and reactions. And, Last in last year's game, which was uh, in Virginia, I can't remember actually. Um, I, I think it was in in Virginia, and uh, no, sorry, it was it was at Cameron. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, it, it was at Cameron. Yeah, and uh, and what they decided to do was to top lock on the on the initial pin downs, which means. Uh, like I can I can remember Grayson Allen being one of the guys who was chasing them around, getting on the high side of it, getting on the high side of it and basically not letting you come off it. And what happened was uh, it became very predictable. And so Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, who were key parts of the team last year as well, 
kind of picked them apart um, to the point where they played all zone in the second half and and ended up winning the game. Duke won the game um, from, from that zone. And so this year, what they did was switch everything. And I say that it was a combination. Them going more to the ball screen stuff was a combination because the switching, Tony Bennett did say after the game that it was the first time that they had seen that. So I think it did throw them off, off guard a little bit. But the ball screens have been something that they've been doing more and more throughout the season. They've continued doing it in, in recent games. Somebody had an article the other day um, with a with talking having other coaches talk about Virginia, and there were other coaches talking about it too. The the fact that they're ball screening more, um, and so that was that was a little bit of validation for some of the stuff that I've done, and and uh, and yeah, so it was really a combination of the switching, uh, but then. I think going into the game, you know, a lot of teams, they they look at Duke and they they look at Marquise Bolden and that's that's what they want to do. They want to put him in ball screens. Um, So a combination of them doing it a lot, just or starting to do it more to begin with Bolden and the switching, I'd say. Yeah, actually, um, from what I've seen. I think the kind of the litmus test of Bolden and how much K trusted him was Syracuse and FSU when it just seemed like that's all they were trying to do. Then every possession is get Bolden isolated. And I just kept thinking K is going to pull him. K is going to pull him. And I'm not saying he's great, but he moves his feet a lot better than I think some may realize. And the fact that K stuck with him, I think was really great. It was kind of, you could, maybe you could say earning his stripes. So I think, Bo, I mean, he's not perfect, but I think he's done a great job. And he's a really underrated part because Duke's not getting annihilated on any sort of uh, when when he is kind of isolated alone on uh, guards and wings. So I've been impressed with that. Again, not perfect, but uh, impressive, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, uh, I agree with you to an extent. So. I I definitely agree with your your part about how they haven't been getting hurt on on that type of stuff. I think it's a pretty big credit to just their overall length on defense. So in that Syracuse game or where where they were pretty much like you said just going straight to a Bolden ball screen, um, it's it's hard to really evaluate the length and and just how much it's affecting. Um, the other the other team's offense but to me it has a lot to do with the other four guys behind him and uh and yeah there there are still some possessions where Bolden just kind of finds himself in no man's land and um it it, it looks really bad to me and and I just know from that coaches are watching it and, and thinking man we just we got to keep doing that we got to keep doing that uh, but it's it's the other four guys, the length, and, and they swarm you and they deny. That seems to, I mean, bail them out is probably too strong. I, you know, Bolden has has definitely gotten better as the year increases, a lot better than last year. Um, but but it's it's a team effort, I think. Yeah, and obviously also context. It depends on what the other team is doing. Like obviously FSU was using it to um, throw alley-oops, um, to hit the roller um, once getting Bolden with the ball handler, whereas Syracuse, since they take more 
mid-range jumpers than any team I've ever seen every single year. It's the weirdest thing. And they were more efficient in doing it. They'll take these 15 to 17-foot jumpers guarded, and they'll make them. I don't know. But anyway, so from 1644 to 949, Virginia made eight straight shots, and it was around this point when uh, Duke switched into a zone. They threw in a zone look, and Virginia proceeded to only hit one of their next 11, including 005 from from, uh, three. And a bunch of those threes were open. So would you say this was a kind of a, a strong mental move from Coach K to throw Virginia off with a different look, even though it gave the Cavs some open shots? Yeah. Um, initially, I thought that it might have to do with the foul trouble. So Javin Delorier specifically um, was in foul trouble. And I thought they went to zone because they had started to pick on Bolden a little bit. Delorier was in foul trouble. And so they went to zone, but I don't, then, then I watched it again on film afterwards. And I don't think that was entirely the case. Um, Deloria came back in and they did stay in the zone and it, it, but they would go back and forth a little bit. So I think there is some merit to, to that idea that to a little curveball, So they can't, uh, so Virginia can't get comfortable, I guess, um, in, in their man offense, uh, a lot of coaches don't like to switch back and forth because the same thing can be said about about your defense, right? Like you you have to get locked into the zone mentality right away. Um, if, if you're switching back and forth, you're not good at either of them would be that argument. But it does the same thing to the offense as well. Uh, usually the first possession where you switch into zone, you're going to take 10 or 15 seconds just getting it that team is going to have to get into their zone offense that they're not prepared for. So there's, there's 10 or 15 seconds off the clock right there. Um, so I, I do like it as a, as a little curveball um, to, to stop Virginia's flow, I guess. Okay. I have a question on this one. I really don't know um, if Virginia, they're using more of the ball screens, more talented players. How come, I mean, you, yeah, I, the numbers do say their offenses or their overall the tempo's gotten a little faster, but it's it's not fast, obviously. It's still very slow. How come it hasn't gotten faster with the more ball screens, or is it starting to more and more maybe over the last couple? I would have to look and see. I mean, their offense, uh, their, their efficiency is much improved this year. Uh, their tempo is not really. It's still, I think they're still last in the country in, in tempo. I think it goes back to the continuity part of, of Tony Bennett. So there's multiple ways to run a ball screen offense. And one of them is to really value every single ball screen that you set and look to score off of that ball screen, like almost at all costs. A team that does that pretty well is, is Miami uh, in an ACC team where they, they run all ball, all spread ball screens, but it's going to be a lot different than a continuity They'll probably only get one or two in a possession, whereas Virginia, it's it's move the ball. You know, you set a ball screen. If it's not there, you're reversing it to the other side, and then you have another ball screen coming. Um, and so th- I would imagine that if we charted out their continuity ball screen possessions, it is quicker than their blocker mover possessions, but it's still not that quick, basically. On Saturday, would you expect to see – I mean, uh, you you talked about it last year, Duke switched his own, kind of being forced into it. And what I saw is that Isaiah Wilkins, one of the most impactful players in the country as a non-scorer, 
I mean, he was almost forced to take these like seven foot mid range jumpers, which he just had no confidence in. And he was almost a liability, you could say. So he really didn't play much in the second half. And considering how important he was, I think that changed the game as much as anything. Would, would Do you see any kind of similar surprise from Duke on defense or even on both ends? What, what do you think could possibly be a surprise or just something that uh, we might be overlooking? That's a good question. I, I would have never guessed that the coaches – both coaches did so much adjusting in the first game. And I would have never guessed that really they're not necessarily thought of as these huge adjusters, especially Tony Bennett. I mean, that's kind of been the, the Virginia way here is that they just do what they do and they do it really, really well. Uh, and, and I don't know, it's, it's hard to say if, if why they, they have changed stuff up a little bit this year. Uh, I mean, Maybe the UMBC loss has something to do with it. I, I can't really speculate on that. And then, and then Coach K, he does change from year to year uh, a good amount, especially in this one and done era. He'll, you know, if you, when I watched that Duke Virginia game last year, uh, it, it was Duke's offense looked completely different last year than it does this year. Uh, and, and that's a credit to, to the staff because they have different personnel. Uh, but from game to game, I don't think of him as as a huge game planner. Um, so th- all that to say, it's really hard to to know what is next. Um, yeah, I I would be I would not be surprised if Duke stopped switching one through five. You know, you would imagine that Virginia is practicing that all week here to to prepare for it. And I don't know if if with that preparation, it makes sense to keep doing it, but I can't necessarily say how that they should guard it or or better yet. I can't say how Coach K thinks that they should guard it. So it's tough. And I mean, yeah, in terms of game to game, I totally agree, which is why I mean, at some point, I, I doubt there's a huge interest for this, but I still can't get over how different that Duke defense looked against Kansas last year in the, there was just a whole lot. I had questions about which that was, that was my angry end of your podcast about Kansas, but let's keep it to this last two questions about uh, Duke, Virginia. I would say how do you, with Duke speeding up the other team has been huge. They haven't been able to do that as well. Do you think Trey can do that against a team that, Obviously, it's very hard to speed up. And uh, I guess part part B is, especially in close games, I mean, Duke's free throw shooting is just, it, it's tough. I mean, especially when you play the better teams, it's hurt them. Zion missed a late free throw against Syracuse that could have won it. I mean, I mean, he was really bad in the second half against Virginia. Trey uh, missed a, a big free throw, one-on-one against Florida State. Um, RJ's had his issues and it's not just late it's just throughout when they're just giving away points so that would you think that could bite them at some point when they're playing these good teams so I guess can Trey speed them up from defense or from any part of the game and will free throws bite them in the in the uh, rear end at some point sure yeah well I would imagine you know no Ty Jerome would would help to speed up Virginia a little bit, but I don't think it's as much about speeding them up 
as it is uh, creating some chaos with with the denials. So Duke is a pretty heavy deny team, but depending on the game, you don't notice it too much. Uh, and in other games, you notice it quite a bit. Um, so that would be because of all the switching that they did. It's hard to to do both, uh, to be really focused on, on all your switching and then also be able to get up and deny. Uh, so that would be something that I would look for, the, their ability to make Virginia uncomfortable with the denials like they do against some teams. And then, as oh, the free throw uh, question. Yeah, I mean, it has some kind of an impact for sure, especially in late games. But the thing about late games is you, you usually have some control over who gets the ball. Um, and so that's why, uh, late or late game shooting can be free throw shooting can be a little bit different from your average free throw shooting. Uh, this isn't the case with Duke, but if you had a big guy who goes to the line a ton, uh, well, he usually gets pulled at the end of the game. Um, no, no, so, no yeah. Duke, Duke is very consistent. Give them credit that way. They're, they're bad for the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's, I, I don't think that it's something to, to be ridiculously worried about um, from, from the coaching angle. I know that it definitely drives coaches crazy. Uh, I was a part of a couple teams that were, were pretty bad free throw shooting teams and, and the fans love to talk about it. Love to, you know, you got to have them working on the free throws, got to have them working on the free throws. Yeah. Like, that, that, that and um, bench depth, I would say are probably the two things that people like me who may not know as much as we think, um, probably kind of invest a little too much time talking about it. <laughs> it's so okay. Let's let's settle on that. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's just a little bit lower on my list, I guess. When you know there's there's a lot of stuff, but but you're 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 right. I mean, it can definitely make or break a game. Uh, you know, a close game. Yeah. Okay. And I think uh, well, two two quick things. Um, I I think with Bolden being isolated, I think just Zion his ability to. Uh, get help side blocks his ability to come over his instincts that really helps there so even though you might not see zion in the picture when bolden's isolated you know he's lingering around there somewhere and i think cam reddish doesn't get enough credit for his denial and his ability to create havoc as long as he's not fouling his foul rate sometimes a concern but i think he might be the most one of the most underrated defensive players so i think he's been doing a great job staying out of foul trouble recently i guess pretty much that's that sums up duke um, is there anything – I mean, that sums up Duke. Sums up Duke, uh, Virginia. Then, um, yeah, I mean, Chris Mack, I might be wrong about this. I think he has uh, used some pack line himself previously. Yep. Um, I, I think Xavier, they've been, they were known to do it there. So And, and like I said, Jordan Noir, great player. Besides that, let's just start off uh, Duke offense versus Louisville defense. How do we see that going? Yeah, I mean, same. Just like you said, they they put they're known to play pack line as well, so it's the same style. They're just not quite as good at it as Virginia, which is no shame whatsoever because you know Virginia is probably a top five defensive team in the country. Um, looking at it right now, Louisville is ranked twenty second in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, so so they're no slouch at all. Um, yeah, they. I guess probably what what makes them a little bit uh, what makes Virginia a better matchup than than say Louisville um, to guard Duke 
is that Louisville has some has some small guards. So uh, Kristen Cunningham, who's their ball screen point guard, who get get they get a lot out of on the offensive end. He's six two, and then Ryan McMahon is listed at six foot. Both are pretty good offensive players, and uh, and they have some they have some rim protection. Louisville does um, maybe even more so than than uh, Virginia, but they don't necessarily have the best matchups for for all those uh penetrating duke guards okay is there any one specific matchup that might stand out to you as something duke might be able to take advantage of or have trouble with uh that's a good question i uh i don't know it's it's hard to say who will guard who um someone someone should have a favorable matchup and then and then with that the issue can be uh, worrying too much about getting that matchup, right? As opposed to letting it, letting the flow of the offense um, and that matchup kind of manifest itself later on in the possession. So I guess that would be my analysis um, would be that you're one of these, one of the Duke freshmen is likely to have uh, like a Ryan McMahon uh, on him, but let it let it come to you, I guess, and and um, move the ball, and then move it, get it rotated a side or two, and and then take advantage of that matchup. Gotcha. All right, Louisville offense versus uh, Duke defense. Yeah, so Louisville is thinking about it now, actually more like the Miami thing that I was talking about, where they run spread ball screens. Um, but they're really looking to use the ball screen. And that's kind of a weird thing because you would think, well, obviously they're looking to use the ball screen. Uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, they're, they're a little bit more cerebral out of the ball screens. Um, Kristen Cunningham is, is their guy to, to use them. Um, he's one of these guards who rates as a low usage player because he doesn't necessarily shoot the ball that much but he's pretty ball dominant his assist rate is really high um and so i would argue that he's actually a pretty high usage player um and and yeah i would imagine we would we will see a lot of bolden in ball screens um against against louisville and he is really good at reading the defense cunningham um and making the right play uh they also have stephen enoch who is usually the five-man uh, setting those screens and and he's he's pretty good inside they have some front court depth um but but yeah they're, they're a little bit more creative in how they get into the ball screens than virginia so they'll run some some movement stuff and then loosen you up and in the in that regard i think that they could give uh duke some trouble potentially i mean watching north carolina the other day i mean obviously nc state I mean, they are just wildly awful in different ways the last couple games. But, I mean, just looking at how Louisville, they held North Carolina to 62 points. And with how good North Carolina looks right now, do you think that was more of a credit to Louisville and and their defense? Because I'm looking after that. They haven't exactly played high-caliber teams. So I'm trying to see what we can take away from their uh, Boston College, Georgia Tech, State, Pittsburgh, and Wake Forest wins. 
I mean, they, yeah, then they did lose to North Carolina, but they play, then they played Virginia Tech, and with Virginia Tech without Justin Robinson is not really the Virginia Tech I think many were hoping for. I mean, he'll be hopefully be back, but I think that you have to factor in. So how good is Louisville's defense when it's tough to uh, kind of judge by the last bunch of games? Yeah, I think on both sides of the floor, they are outperforming their personnel, which is a credit to Chris Mack for sure. I mean, the, just raw talent-wise, I think they're a tournament team at, at the very least. Uh, but right now they're playing like a top 15 team almost, and uh, and I think that's a credit to, to Chris Mack. Um, on, on both sides of the floor, uh, they they play a somewhat slow pace, so I think the, the defense can look a little bit better than the offense, but it's about equal. Um, on uh, In ACC play, they're fourth in points per possession on offense, and they're third in points per possession on defense. Um, so they, they don't have a heavy skew one way or the other. Um, and, and yeah, it's that, it's that pack line defense. So again, they're not forcing, or at least that's not their intent is to force a ton of turnovers, uh, and going into conference play, that was the type of defense that I would have thought would give them, give Duke the most trouble. Uh, if you go way back to, to the, to non-conference, um, army, was the first team to try to play Duke that way. And they didn't have much success, really, but they did impact the game with, with how, uh, you know, they were, they were letting Duke shoot threes. Um, and so with, with Virginia and with Louisville both, it's interesting to see that style, but with ACC caliber of athletes. It's interesting just to look at turnover percentage, 224, tempo, 247. This is the rankings. Block percentage, 204, and steal percentage, 304. It's almost interesting just to see those stats and be able to predict if a team plays back line because it's just like slow. They don't turn you over, but they're really good. So, yeah, I mean, I I would hate to do this to you because I know how ridiculous it is to just say who's going to win because I think (laughs) the analysis says more than anything – and especially with Virginia, you've broken that down, Louisville. You've given us an intro. Do you want Do you want to say at least who you think has the advantage in either game? Yeah, well... Um, especially with it being at UVA, that's tough. Right, right, yeah. Uh, in in both cases, in both, both cases, I, I'm, I'm, I can't say I am... Uh, I can see the future here, but I do know what the what the Vegas spread will be for both games, and and I would take the favorites. Um, and and yeah, both both the home teams, um, or well, certainly in Virginia, uh, Virginia is going to be favored. I, where is that Louisville Duke game? At, at uh, Louisville. Okay, well, I would imagine that Duke will still be favored in that one. Um, but yeah, it's you know the. <laughs> It's one thing to do analysis, and then it's another thing to do um, analysis that adds value beyond what the Vegas spread is, and that's kind of why I don't pre- get into a lot of predictions. The The funny thing is in the, the Duke and Zaga game early on was like the one time that I kind of went out on a limb, and I didn't really say that Gonzaga was going to win the game, but my tweets implied it a little bit and I got completely lucky and, and they did win that game. But, 
but yeah, I, w- I would take the favorites. So so Virginia and uh, and and then Duke in the Louisville game. Yeah, it's funny in that game. Right before I said if uh, Gonzaga, if they had uh, Killian Tilly, I definitely would have picked the Zags. But since they don't, and that's the only reason, I'll go with Duke. And there we go, and they lost anyway. So yeah, I trust. And I realize how stupid that picking individual <laughs> games is. But you know what? Thank you so much. I do want to ask you more, but for now, I think you've really helped kind of show why you're great at what you do. So you can visit Jordan's Twitter account at HoopVision68 and see everything from the uh, YouTube videos to or link to the YouTube videos to the podcast to the newsletter. I subscribe to the newsletter. Great work done there. Thank you so much, Jordan. I hope to talk to you soon, and we'll, we should have some fun games this weekend and moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for having me, Adam. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to coming back on. And I will be having some Duke, Virginia content on my podcast, which is against solving basketball uh, coming up uh, on Monday after the game uh, there. I think it's going to be mainly focused on, on Duke, Virginia. So so that's something to look out for. I definitely will be uh, checking that out and I will be talking to you soon. Duke fans. Duke fans.